Life is full of what ifs. Some awesome, like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome, like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out of pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. You're listening to Luke's English podcast. For more information, you can visit teacherluke.wordpress.com. Hello there and welcome to Luke's English Podcast. This episode that you are now listening to is part two of a conversation I had with a friend of mine from Australia called Daniel Burt. And you know, you know what I mean? Daniel Burt's from Australia, so he kind of speaks a bit like this. And that's a sort of vague approximation of his Australian accent. You know what I mean, mate? Yeah, stick another prawn on the barbie. To be honest, people in Australia don't say stick another prawn on the barbie. It's a bit of a cliche or a stereotype. You'll hear Daniel and I discussing some of these things in this episode. Uh, in fact, some of the things that we are going to talk about in this part are Daniel's move to London, um, some cliches about Australian people, uh, typical Australian English phrases. For example, good day, mate. Here you going, you know, that kind of thing. Uh, we talk a bit about Australian pronunciation or the Australian accent. We go a little bit deeper into the subject and talk about the Australian national character and national identity. We talk a bit about Australian politics uh, and the future of Australia and Australia's image of itself. We talk a bit about um, Australia's love of sport and competition. And finally, we get to the um, the real gold, which is um, Daniel telling us a few things about um, meeting Benedict Cumberbatch, who plays Sherlock Holmes, Martin Freeman, who plays The Hobbit, and Dr. Watson, and also Matt Smith and David Tennant, both of whom have played Doctor Who. So we'll be able to hear Daniel tell us a few things about those experiences. All right, so the conversation is, is going to start now. Here it is. Thanks for listening. Speak to you again soon. Bye! You were saying that you're going to be moving away from Paris very soon. Uh, yes, very soon. I'm uh, off to London. I must be the only Australian who's uh, who'd been to England but not London. Well, because Australians have got a kind of reputation for travelling abroad a lot, especially going to England. Infesting, to... I think, is the word. Infesting, <laughs> what like a like a plague, like a rat plague. Yeah. Okay. And particularly London, it seems that there's a massive Australian community, mm. fairly sort of. Uh, uh, they stay there. They don't stay there permanently. Some of them do, but a lot of them go for a year or mm. two, and then they come back to Australia. Um, but yeah, there is that. Repu- we'll come to stereotypes and things in a minute. Sure. Because from an English point of view or Londoner's point of view, one of the stereotypes of an Australian person is someone who's just there for a year. They work in a bar, mm. you know, and they live in a shared house and they drink in the walkabout pub. Gross. You know, that's kind of one of the sort of stereotypes. You have a, Do you have a Australian bar near you? Uh, You've got a here a cafe also here in Paris. Far? Yeah, yeah, we've got uh, we've got one just a, just a few streets away. I can't remember. Is it a cafe? Yeah, cafe Oz, I mean. Yeah. Now I don't know why anyone why an Australian would travel all that way to drink in an Australian pub. I have no idea. I guess they feel like that's where they know whether what the rules are. Oh, you know, okay. Maybe they maybe after their tourism where it's all French and they, they you know and all that they can go somewhere where they it's like cheers you want, yeah. sometimes you want to go but I, I don't know if the clientele is mainly Australian maybe it's not uh, yeah, yeah. but it's it, but certainly Paris is intimidating enough to, for that to be a valid reason to go England yeah. is not in London is not intimidating to an Australian no it shouldn't be no so I, I have no I London has held no real allure for me in, in an exotic sense yeah. because it it always felt Australians call England the mother country. So you know we have things in Australia named after all yeah. over the place. It's named after stuff in London and England. So it's it's not that different. So it's it's more a place to work. So you're not looking forward to going there, are you? No, I, I think I really like. I think I absolutely. Yeah. It feels like it's happening. 
Oh, it's, but yeah, it, yeah. But it's, that's, if it's not, I mean, I'm sure it is, but I'm more than happy to be seduced by the romance of the place. And at the moment, <laughs> I, I am in, I love it. Like, I love... Because that's the thing. I don't speak French. So there's always... Oh, you love it in Paris? You love, oh, I, you love Paris? No, I love Paris, but I, I love... Every time I fly to London or catch the train yeah. for work, yeah. if I've got to interview somebody or visit a, a TV set or something, yeah. I... And maybe I get uh, a biased view of the place because I get put up at nice hotels and stuff. Yeah, yeah. But it, it really does feel like culturally, if not the centre, a a center of the universe yeah really well i suppose if okay so you've been to london then you have yes but um but when i initially arrived i i i'd been to derby when you when you initially arrived in england yeah uh, in in sorry when you initially arrived here in paris you hadn't been to england or you hadn't been to london you'd been to derby yeah derby what <laughs> derby is such a sort of uh, uh, odd choice of a uh, place to go <laughs> Derby, if you don't know, listeners, is a but it's like a town in the Midlands. It's not that. I don't want to offend the people of Derby. It's a lovely place, but it, if you come from the other side of the world and you go to England, Derby isn't necessarily the place that you would choose to visit first. I mm. mean, you'd go to Edinburgh, you'd go to London, you go to Dublin or something like that. But uh, Derby, all yeah, right. it's it's weird also as an Australian because Australia is obviously massive. Yeah. Just, I mean, everybody knows that. So to travel to different parts of England and hear different accents, yeah. when in Australia, if we travelled that distance, it would you wouldn't have even left one city. Oh, yeah. okay, we're talking about accents. So Australia being so big, you can travel hundreds of miles and the accent is basically the same. We, well, I think Australians are notorious for having a pretty homogenised accent. Okay. Whereas in England, the accents change like every few miles. It feels it can it can be. Yeah, you know. if we do have differences of accent, it's largely. And I don't think I'm shooting my mouth off anthropologically. Mm. Um, I think it is just a class. Th- it's a class thing. So there's class distinctions, but not regional distinctions. Okay. So a rich person in Perth will sound pretty similar to a hoity-toity rich person in Melbourne. Okay. How does a rich person from Australia sound? Oh, no. I knew as soon as I said that I'd have to give an impression. Uh, Well, it's interesting. It's more refined. I mean, if you look at at old Vox Pops... Uh, Yeah, yeah. Sort of interviews with people in the street. mm, Yeah. Latin for... Short for Latin, Vox Populi, I think it was called. Uh-huh. So, if you look at Vox Pops from 30 years ago in Australia, our accents were so much different. Yes, really. It's, it's unbelievable to hear the difference. We, it's, called stri- it's called either Strine. Strine? Yeah. Well, the, that's so, the old ac- the old fashioned accent? Yeah, yeah. Strine. Mm, so, S-T-R... Uh, I-N-E or S-T-R-A-Y-A-N and that means Australian yeah Strain Strain okay alright this is interesting so we can learn how to speak like an Australian person mm. so the, the if you're Australian you don't say Australian you say Strain yeah okay oh g'day mate are you fr- are you Strain yeah that's good that's really good you've obviously done this before I've, I've watched Neighbours oh right many, for many many years but, yeah, I like to try and copy accents. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So um, there's another thing, and it may be a cliche about the Australian accent, and that's that there's a lot of upward intonation. Mm. So if you're, if you're, strain, if you're strain, everything, <laughs> <laughs> everything seems to go up at the end. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Um, um, it's, it, the it's weird true? thing also is the ER words end in A-H. So ER words meaning like teacher, computer, mm. footballer. Yeah, footballer, carpenter. Teacher. Teacher, yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, oh are you a teacher? <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, so, and it's, it's weird because when I uh, meet an Australian overseas, like for instance, in, in New York, someone said to me, how are you? Yeah. And sometimes I don't know whether the Australianness in me comes out 
extra or if it would have just been there whoever asked me all so, right you mean when you're in a foreign country mm. when you're in a place like australia where you feel different sometimes you become even more australian just because you're aware of the difference yes yeah that's i right. know i know exactly how you feel and the same in english someone asked me how i was i said tickety boo yeah i'm tickety boo mate. <laughs> <laughs> What? Tickety-boo. And and tickety-boo <laughs> is like saying fine, yeah. but it's just something that, uh, yeah, you wouldn't normally say. It's like a... Chimney sweep. Yeah, or, I don't know. What the hell? Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I'm tickety-boo, mate. Yeah, I find that um, when I'm in France here, when I meet American people, when I lived in Japan, I sort of became a lot more English than mm. I normally am. So I'd be sort of saying you know jolly good and things yeah, like that like, right. why, why am i saying that but no, my thing is maybe you would be saying that anyway but you're just not noticing it yeah it's only because you're out of mm. your elements that and, it's more and obvious. there's an australian cafe that i go to uh not cafe oz but a, a, a proper they do australian style coffee mm. and i go and they are australian and lovely girls and i say they say bonjour and i'll say g'day yeah like an idiot. Bonjour. Uh, uh, g'day. G'day, uh, mate. <laughs> so... Yeah, can I get a coffee? No, I don't. It, I don't it's know. weird because most Australians can do an Australian accent. Most Australians can do the accent that people think is Australian. Okay. Like, if you want me to be more Australian... <laughs> Australian. <laughs> I can if do If you it. want me to be more Australian... <laughs> it's like, no, skin off my nose. I can do it easy. So th- this is this sort of uh, slightly broader mm. uh, cliche Australian That's accent. That's right. Okay. Which right. we actually, I believe, have in us. And we, the, even though the more sophisticated and urban and worldly Australians get, yeah. the more kind of entrenched we get in this mytho- mythological uh, larrikin. Larrikin might even be an Australian. Larrikin? Mm. What, whoa, what? I'm confused. What are you L- talking larrikin about? Larrikin is a, uh, you know, a knockabout... Aussie prankster. Um, like a sort of um, naughty Australian guy who yeah. plays tricks on people? Yeah, yeah. So, um, what, is he like a modern person or is No, he... no, he's been around forever. Oh, it's like a mythological... No, no, not forever. He's been around since white settlement. <laughs> okay. He's... he's, he's... He's a sort of uh, cheeky Australian guy who plays tricks and makes jokes on people. That's right. Okay. Yes. So now we had a prime minister. Yes. Uh, Kevin Rudd was his name. Yeah. He's uh, born in Queensland. Yeah. Which is very ochre. Ochre. Australian. Like really true blue Australian. Yeah. Tr- full full yobbo mate. Okay. Yeah, Yobbo, Yobbo, Oka, straight like and you've got all... uh, Bogan. Yeah, as well. Bogan. So he's he's from Queensland. Very um, all of those things that we just said. Very sort of um, really. Re- let's just say it like this: just really Australian, like <laughs> right at the source. <laughs> yeah. Right, right at the the the, the source of mm. what is deeply Australian. Yeah. So he's yeah, good day, mate. You know. You know G'day, mate. I mean, that's the only thing I can say. Yeah, yeah, maybe yeah. How's bloody going? You know, th- people will come up to me in Paris and say, oh, throw another shrimp on the barbie, that sort of stuff. Yeah, throw another shrimp on the barbie. Even because, though... Because the cliche is that Australians are outside in the back garden in their, you know, they've got lots of space mm. and it's sunny and they're drinking beer. Yeah, and people are kind of laid back, maybe a bit loud. Yeah. And um, they're having a barbecue and they're eating... Shrimp, so it's like, yeah, yeah, good day, mate. Throw another shrimp on the Barbie, yeah. Which I don't want to, per- I don't want to um, send that cliche further out into the world. I don't. No, want to that's the point. That's don't exactly right. It, because the the cliche, and every Australian knows this, is fundamentally wrong. We do not call them shrimps. We yeah. do not put prawns on barbecues. Yeah, it is a figment of, I think, an advert advertisement campaign in the 80s yeah okay uh so so anyway he's from queensland but he is a uh policy wonk he is he is a (laughs) what's a policy a policy wonk is a he's a politician who is very smart knows legislation enjoys um making policy politicians make policy Mm. and that's 
Policy, politicians, politics. Yeah, they, so, they make policy. They make laws. They make laws. So he's uh, when you say he's a policy wonk, he's just someone who who, who wrote lots of laws. Oh, he just loves the fine. He's a geek. A geek. Sorry, yeah. wonk. Geek. He's okay. a geek. Okay. He's a. Uh, he speaks Mandarin. He is. He was very, very, you know, glasses nerd. Yeah. But he's from this Queensland, so. He would do these weird things that Australians found quite funny because he would he would say things like oh you know put it and he was he he spoke in more of a clipped kind of slightly more slightly yeah. more posh yeah 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 Australian yeah. accent uh, and so he would say you know like uh, oh um, fair shake of the sauce bottle there mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. so he would it it just sounded. Very phony, like a, so, a politician trying to be rough. So okay, so the the the, the issue with uh, what was his name again? Kevin Rudd. Kevin Rudd that you're, you're explaining is that uh, he spoke with a posh kind of Australian accent, but he would try to sound like a normal guy, like a, a normal guy from Queensland, by by using these typical phrases that are sort of colloquialisms. Mm. But he would do it in his slightly posh accent. And that's that's just horrible because it's innately uh, going against his genuine identity. But it, maybe this is—he's a very uh, complex guy. Yeah. He's, you know, maybe that is him. Like maybe he's a weird hybrid that we've never seen before. We had the same thing with Tony Blair, um, who, of course, was the Prime Minister in Britain. For many years, ninety-seven till two thousand and six or something, yep. um, and um, Tony Blair, Prime Minister, but he would change the way he spoke depending on who he was with and the situation he was in. So he was able to be very sort of um, formal sounding in certain situations, and then there would be some PR moment where he was on the news, like buying an ice cream from an ice cream man. Mm-hmm. Like, look, uh, now look, uh, all right, mate, um, I'll. I'll yeah, I'll take that one. And he's mm. kind of dropping his T's and things. Oh, okay, it's a bit icky. Yeah and, yeah, and it's like, oh, what's he doing? You can see so fake. Barack Obama does this a little bit, depending on where he is. But that's that's politicians they're allowed mm. to. But it's mm. it's 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 weird for Australians. There are some Australian phrases that I think I, I don't know if Australians say them authentically or if we say them ironically. What are the okay, what are the, the, the five most sort of widely known Australian phrases. Let's say, I mean, I, I don't want my listeners to keep saying these things and you should be aware that if you meet an Australian, these aren't necessarily the first things you should say, but you should be aware of the five, like, oh, phrases. So oh, you've got, we've got good day, mate. Oh, yeah, good day, mate. Which is basically hello, mate. Yep. And we've got... Good uh, day, mate. Yeah, good day. Yeah, sure. Good day. The Australianisms mostly are just abbreviations. Okay. Good day. And then we've got throw another prawn on the barbie, oh, even yeah. though people don't actually eat shrimps yep. on barbecues. Mm-hmm. Uh, what else have we got? We've got uh, no worries. Yeah, no worries, mate. Well, there's, you know, there's no, um, I would say no, and I would say this ironically. Yes. Either no no wackers or no wacken furries. <laughs> okay. <laughs> okay. No wacken furries. Mm-hmm. Is a, a, a like saying no f- fucking worries, mm. but you've changed the letters around. So yes. not no fucking worries, but no whacking furries. That's right. And that's just like a fun... I believe it's the correct term is a spoonerism. Yes. Mm. Yeah, that's right. Made famous by some guy called Spooner. <laughs> that's right. Famous for doing it. Mm. Okay. All right. So we've got um, uh, good A, uh, stick another prawn on the barbie. No worries. No whacking furries. <laughs> sure, yeah. Another one? Uh, well, there are so... Like, I'm not kidding. There are books filled with them. There yeah. are thousands. Yeah. Um, so, you know, at the moment we've got a, a prime minister who uh, enjoys surfing. Okay. And he, he's, uh, he goes running along the beach. Yeah. Now, people... Some people wear board shorts... Okay, these uh, are shorts that you go that you wear at the beach when you go surfing. Mm, long shorts. Long shorts. Uh, we Australians would call them togs. Okay, uh, but if you wear if you wear if you if you wear this particular style of togs, yeah, they're called budgie smugglers. Budgies, budgie yeah. smugglers. So it's just basically a pair of uh, wetsuit style underpants. 
Uh, are they? Why are they called budgie smugglers? Bu- by the way, a budgie is like a, a pet bird, mm. just like a colourful bird that sings. You keep it in your house. A budgie. Yeah. A, to smuggle a budgie mm. would be for some reason if you wanted to, let's say, take a budgie across an international border. Yeah. And you wanted to, <laughs> you wanted to hide it because you didn't want to have to pay the tax. There's probably some import tax for yeah, budgies yeah. so you would you would smuggle the budgie in mm. and how would you do it well you'd need to put it in a in a bag or maybe you would uh stuff it under your underpants yeah and it and looks like you're smuggling budgies okay so the uh so <laughs> why a budgie of all things? i don't know i don't so, know and it's but there's not an australian who would not... If I said budgie smuggler, they would know exactly what I was talking about and they would probably, if you were playing Family Feud, say Prime Minister. Okay, right, so hold on. Let me piece this together. So budgie smugglers, because the uh, um, the shorts are very tight. Yeah. And so it looks like you've got a dead bird under the... Yeah, it's, it, well, it's, it, it may be dead. It's hugging your appendage in such a way that uh, it's protruding... Yeah, there's lumps. Okay, so actually, the lumps caused by your private parts yeah. are uh, um, bulging out, yeah. and it could appear that you're attempting to smuggle uh, a pet bird. Yeah, for, we don't know why, but but that's just yeah. the. So, the for phrase. instance, or if, if you're at a if you're a pub at a pub in Australia, and um, you want a cigarette, you might say, "I'm not sure if anyone else says this." Mm-hmm. Yeah, but they'll say, maybe you guys say it. Uh, Can I bum a fag off? Yeah, you? yeah. So bumming to bum a fag. Mm. Yeah, I've 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 been through this on the podcast. Oh, great. Already, sorry, actually. sorry, sorry. No, it's fine. It's interesting that you bring it up, and it's interesting the Australians say it too. My dad says to me in emails yeah. when he's saying goodbye, he'll yeah. say uru, uru. Yeah. What's that? H o o r o o. H o o r o. Uru or huru? Yeah, uru. Uru. Goodbye. Uru means goodbye. Uru means goodbye. How does uru mean goodbye? I, I you know what? I could, I could find the etymology, perhaps, but yeah. I, it's not immediately apparent. You, you do, do, you, do you think that most people don't know? I, I think know. that most people don't know. But just basically, uru. Everyone would know. And is there a particular way that I should say it? Let's say it again. Uru. That's well. It's probably a bit forced, but yeah. Uru. Uru. Yeah. It's like ta-da. Yeah. Ta-da, mate. Mm. Ta-da. Uru. Okay. Uh, you got others? We, we, well, I don't know if I've got others. I mean, we, it's, it's hard to know what's uniquely Australian. Yes. Well, um, okay. How about this? Um, um, is Australia more similar to the United States or is it more similar to the UK? Or um, is it unique? I think we're an amazing... I used to work for a, a, a show called... It was a comedy quiz show. Mm, called mm, the mm. Einstein Factor. Okay. And um, it was... I met the the most intelligent people in Australia were on this show. The, anyway, mm. um, the question writer was a genius. He mentioned how Australians don't give ourselves enough credit. You mean you're a bit self-critical? We're self-critical in terms of our intelligence. Okay. I know. I, 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 it's killing Dan, me. Daniel is uh, is is struggling with a pad here. You might hear it. You might be able to hear it. I cannot believe he's how much fi- he's fiddling so much that and he's, it's, destro- it's, he's it's destroyed. It's stabbing me, and now I'm trying to tear it off. He's destroyed his pad. Yeah. just out of it's fiddling. But if that's come up on the microphone, that's just unforgivable. Don't worry. It's just the way. It's it's real world. It's act- real authentic <laughs> communication. Sure. Um, um, so he would he would say that. Uh, Australians beat ourselves up for not... But because we're at the bottom of the world, we look out. Okay. And we actually know more about the world than maybe the world knows about the world. Mm. Or the world knows about us, certainly. Mm. Mm. Um, So we consume British media as voraciously as American media. Okay. So you're getting lots of British shows and American shows. So, I mean... Okay. So, but people, as an Australian comedian, there's always, you, you hear talk about America looking towards Britain and sharing, you know, and, but Australia, we don't have this debate. We mm. don't have it because mm. we see ours as a, well, we've just borrowed from both. Okay. We yeah. get 
all the BBC stuff, we get all the American stuff, mm. and we've, you know, Friends was as big as Faulty Towers. Like there is, there is no. We've just consumed all of it. Yeah. So yeah. Uh, there's no. I don't think there's necessarily a bias, a cultural bias towards either country. Okay. Which, uh, w- w- uh, what's the future of Australia? Do you think? Because we're, wor- you know, in America they worry about their future, the economy and stuff, and the resources. Britain, similar story. Britain, you know, we don't know what our industry is anymore. Mm. And, and, you know, what's our situation with Europe? And we've got, you know, a financial crisis. We've got no land and all that kind of thing. Yeah. What about Australia? What's well, the story? I, I'm a bit bored of hearing about... Hearing American uh, talking heads talk about American problems. Yeah. I So, say, with gun control or healthcare or education... Mm. As far as I'm concerned, Australia has nailed nailed them. When you say nailed them, you've got them right. Got them right. It's or if they're not right. They're they're pretty close, or yeah. they're sure as hell better than what uh, the states have got going. Well, let's on. have a little look at gun control as an example. Mm. Yeah. So uh, in the states, they have let's say a gun control problem. They do because um, everyone's talking about it. Um, and in Australia, I mean. Okay, in America they have mass shootings and other things. And now in Australia, you dealt with uh, the gun situation in a decisive way, didn't you? Yeah, in uh, 1996 uh, there was a massacre, and the prime minister at the time, um, and well, the 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 parliament of the time uh, really legislated for gun control. There was a gun buyback scheme. Government bought guns from gun owners. Yeah, and then. Like used the materials for something else. Mm, took the guns off the street, and there has not been a shooting since. Yeah, uh, and he. Th- there's a really interesting, and it, it did go viral. And I'm very disappointed that it took an American, it took a British guy on an American mm. program to highlight an Australian achievement. You're talking about John Oliver on the day on the Daily Show. Mm. Yeah, uh, that's. I find that. So disappointing. Yeah. But it's an example, and this is to answer your question about Australia's future, we probably don't pat ourselves on the back for what we get right. You don't pat yourself on the back. Well mm. done, Australia. <laughs> yeah. Like, you're not, you don't congratulate yourself. Yeah. And we're, we're a very, uh, in its current, the way Australia looks at the moment, we're a very young country. So England might... F- get a bit set in its ways. You mean a bit sort of stuck in its traditions? Yeah. yeah. You've got you've got thousands of years of sh- Anglo yeah, of tradition and and we don't have that. And I'm, obviously I'm not talking about the indigenous population. Mm. Um so we actually have it within ourselves to be the best country uh on paper and just Categorically excellent. We can we can choose a future. We can do whatever we want. We're rich, unbelievably. Where's the money coming from? Um, it's uh, it, it, a few. I have economist friends who would prefer this answer. The, if you ask the layman, yeah. they would say we had a resources boom. The layman meaning just someone who doesn't have expert knowledge. Mm. Resources. So you've got lots of land. You've got uh, have you got oil? Uh, we don't have oil. We've got coal. Your coal, okay. Mm. So there was a there was a critic, David Horn, I think was his name, um, who in the sixties, I think, he wrote an essay about Australia. One of the um, one of the lines in it was the, he called it as the lucky country. Mm. I'm not sure if that's I'm not sure if the rest of the world knows Australia is the lucky country. No, I had no, I had no idea. No. That so so we we call ourselves lucky country. Now yeah. he meant it as an insult. How? Like resources, dumb luck. Oh, meaning that you haven't actually achieved it; you just found it. Yeah, great, good on us. Like lucky, lucky for us. We yeah. we uh, we got we basically inherited a democracy. We didn't have to fight for it. Mm. Um, mm. So that's what he meant by the lucky country. Okay, but a lot of Australians think they choose the word lucky as they spin it as being like positive. We've made our own luck. Yeah. Whereas the the source of that phrase means we didn't. Okay. Um, and so th- the only thing I'm worried about Australia is do we 
are we optimistic? Because I, if Australians, if if if, if an Australian was asked, what do we think about Poms? Poms meaning British people. Mm. Yeah. Do you know what we would say? What, what the, uh, the, the, the 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 classic thing that Australians say about the Brits is that we complain a lot. Yeah. We, we you call us whinging. Poms. Whinging pumps. Whinging means complaining. Yeah. So what what do we whinge about? Um, oh, the weather or whatever. Yeah. Uh, so yeah. that we complain a lot and we 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 talk about our problems, but we don't actually do anything to fix mm. them. Is that? Is that yeah, it? yeah, yeah. So yeah. there's, and that's what I'm worried about for Australia. That you're going to be a, uh, and you're not going to be dynamic enough. That we we're, like I, I think the idea of a whinging pom, like if I tune into the media in Australia, yeah. I just hear whinging about stuff that doesn't matter. You mean lots of debate over issues yeah. rather than decisive decision, like like clear decision making. Mm. And dynamic kind of um, action-oriented. Like instead things. of instead of looking to the rest of the world to do something first yeah. and prove it right, and then we go, oh, okay, now we'll do it. Yeah, it's a matter of having the self-confidence to go ahead and do it first and do it anyway. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah, yeah. and there are Australian history is filled with examples of that of us leading the world in many areas, really? and I, yeah. I, I hope. That we continue to do that. Just one of those would be, for example, gun control. Yes. Um, the, you know, the way you, you dealt with the gun. Problem. Oh, yeah. And the seatbelt advertisements, we pioneered that. We England was debating about plain cigarette packaging. Uh, yeah. Uh, cigarettes that have no colours or anything on mm. them as a way of trying to reduce the number of yep, purchases. And you, they're all saying, oh, we'll see how it goes in Australia. For, and I'm very proud of the fact, not that I have in, I'm not entitled to be proud because I had nothing to do with it, but... Mm. I, I like that we we don't have to look to see what the rest of the world is doing because the one thing about being at the bottom of the world, sometimes you might not recognise that a large chunk of the rest of the world is a basket case. Um, uh, you might you mean being in the bottom of the world, you might not realise that some other parts of the world are crazy. Yeah, or not 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 doing as well as you. Oh, okay. So you mean the Australians think that because they're down under. They they uh, can't lead the way. Mm. Uh, they they think we're down at the bottom, so we're not the leaders. Yeah. But you're saying that that you it doesn't matter that you're down there. You can still that's right. Be the be at the front of things because we don't have this problem with sport. Ah, God, yeah. Australia is incredibly competitive and sporting. Mm. I mean, like we were talking about cricket earlier. Cricket being you know a sport that's incredibly big in australia and in england and we have like a competition every two years between australia and england the ashes and it's like really brutally competitive um and i find australians to be really competitive when it comes to sport mm. and uh, and one that's why wandering around paris uh and seeing uh say the the pantheon yeah, the, it's like a an old, very old, beautiful-looking building. Um, uh, used to be a kind of refuge. Well, it was, it was. I think they built it as a church, and yeah. then uh, it was. It never got to be a church because yeah. the revolution happened. Yeah, yeah. And now it is a secular temple. Okay. To great French minds. Okay. Cool. Now, the idea of uh, vaunting intellectuals and writers and scientists in a mausoleum yeah. is the most beautiful human endeavour I can mm. think of. Mm. And I love that about Paris. Mm. The fact that you can walk down Avenue Montaigne. Montaigne Avenue is the fashion. It's, And I know you're not a fashion guy, and I'm not, but I I go weak at the knees at glamour. Yeah. And and the the glamour on that street, and it's it's named after the world's greatest essayist. And you've got streets named, you've got metro stations named after authors. They're just very proud of their culture, yes. whereas Australians are probably more proud of their sports people. So if we could just, that's that's one element of why I love Europe, yeah, okay. and why I'm here. Okay, mm. um, fascinating conversation. I feel like we could keep going for ages. No. There's loads of things we could talk about. Um, I, I must ask you, I'm sorry, but I must ask you that uh, about um, 
Benedict Cumberbatch and oh, okay. Matt Smith. Now you, um, as a journalist, you still work for the newspaper back in Australia and mm-hmm. they send you to London sometimes to interview certain people. And they sent you to talk to the cast of Sherlock yep. or, um, and Doctor Who. Mm. So this is, amen- this is amazing. You've actually spoken to Benedict Cumberbatch and, and uh, uh, Martin Freeman. Yep. Can you tell us anything? Um, it's So a set visit, you turn up and I... I spoke to the creators first, Stephen Moffat and Mark Gaddis, and they're yeah. in the they're in Sherlock's room. Yeah, and it was you know they said take photos, and yeah. I, I stood in front of the Baker Street door. And you were in Sherlock's room. Yeah, in Baker Street. Mm. Wow, what's it like in there? Oh, it's beautiful. Really, I mean it's it's utterly realistic. Yeah, it is. It does not. You could. It feels like you could live in it. Yeah, it's amazing, and so, then, and when we're there, you know, there's a wall not there. Yeah, they've removed one of the walls. Yeah, but to it's help the filming. But it's it's yeah. I mean, the furniture. It's it just looks very lived in. Yeah. Um, and yeah, so I interviewed uh, Benedict Cumberbatch, who said he's very sharp, and he um he volunteered. I didn't expect him to volunteer. He said. I asked about his sartorial choices. His clothing choices. Mm. And how he's found himself a fashion icon. Yeah. And it's not him. So I asked him, you know, do, do you... What's it like to... like just lead, Not just necessarily for the paparazzi walking out the door, but it's like, mm, do, I, do I look the part now? Because people expect you to look the part. Anyway, he, yeah. he, he volunteered uh, that he... He says, I know I have a face that looks like a plate of sick. <laughs> he has a face that looks like a plate of sick? Yeah. A plate of vomit? Yeah. He doesn't think he's attractive? He thinks he's hideous. Really? Mm. Wow. And he goes, but he's, he's like, you can't hurt me. You can't because I've, I live with this face. But he's a sex symbol now. Yeah, yeah, totally. But I'm not sure if he's come to terms with that or... Maybe that's part of his charm. Mm. But, you know... People love him because he um, isn't conventional and yet he still has great charisma and charm. Um, and yet he kind of inside, you get the sense that he doesn't really think he's that attractive. Some mm. Hollywood guys, they know that they're attractive yeah. and they wear it on their face. You can see it in their the, their expression. Mm. They seem a bit arrogant or smug or something. Yeah. Benedict Cumberbatch doesn't seem to be an arrogant guy. No, and it's sometimes I wonder whether, and not from him, but the, uh, but Martin Freeman as well. Now, when Sherlock season one launched, Benedict Cumberbatch was not a household name. Yeah. So Sherlock blew him into the stratosphere. Yeah, he's now massive. Mm. Yeah. So to to have come back for season three, so I was interviewing him on the set of season three. Yeah. And, yeah, he he didn't seem to... I mean, it's the BBC, there's not a lot of money, but at the moment, he'd just done Star Trek, and he he mentioned George Clooney. Now, he... Benedict Cumberbatch played in Australia. Yeah. He played Julian Assange in The Fifth Estate. I haven't seen it. Mm. I, I don't want to see it. Mm. But he, he mentioned that he uh, was asking George Clooney advice on... How about movies about politics? Okay. And he wouldn't share his advice, but it, it just seems interesting seeing a guy who, I mean, it's so predictable. This is why celebrities, this is why a lot of celebrities don't like being talked about. Now, he he's talking and he doesn't think he's very interesting. So Sherlock Holmes plays the violin. He... He mentioned that the worst thing about playing Sherlock Holmes is faking playing the violin mm. because it's embarrassing to him. He has violinist friends. Yes. So, you mean, he found it challenging mm. trying to convincingly play the, the violin. Yeah. Yeah. It's interesting, you see, from when you see it from the actor's point of view, you realise that they worry about lots of little details yeah. that, as the audience, we don't have any idea about. Like, we don't realise that he has to worry about how to hold a violin. 
because he's, he's never done it oh, before. and getting coached for how to play the few notes that they ask him to play yeah. in a way that makes him look like a virtuoso yeah but okay but your general impression of Benedict Cumberbatch was that he was kind of modest and, and utterly modest very I mean but isn't that English um, not completely not necessarily some, some yeah. English people I think are quite arrogant sure but and then Martin Freeman is just a just a guy like they can't believe it they yeah. I don't think they they don't Martin Freeman here's what Martin Freeman said he said that on the set of The Hobbit he mentioned that he'd been out a few nights ago and he enjoyed do you know this anecdote? Yeah, I, no I should just say that Martin Freeman as well as being in, in Sherlock Holmes as well as being Dr. Watson he's also Bilbo Baggins in, in The mm. Hobbit Yeah, which blew up after Sherlock as well Yeah, so he so he's on Sherlock, it's all very low-key. But on The Hobbit, he mentioned in passing these DJs that he liked. He yeah. saw it just in passing. Yeah. And then the next day, he has lunch in a tent and he's by himself. And the D- his, Peter Jackson's brought out the DJs Yeah. to New Zealand Wow. to play for him. Wow. And to me, from what I can tell, Martin Freeman's not really that far removed from Tim in the office. Yeah. So. So you mean it was quite? A sh- it must have been a shock for Martin Freeman to have these DJs that he liked brought all the way to New Zealand just mm, for him. Yeah. So he's thinking, oh my god, it's, it's probably difficult to deal with that as an, from an ego point of view. Yeah, exactly. You think, wow, I must be really important, but I guess it mm. must be a struggle. To deal with that level of fame and that level of, say, influence where mm. things change. People are willing to travel thousands of miles to mm. do something for you. Yeah, it must play with your mind quite yeah. a lot. Yeah. And the, with uh, I asked on the set of Doctor Who, I this is the weird thing about being a journalist who doesn't care about celebrity. Mm. An entertainment journalist who doesn't... I don't care who's sleeping with who. Yeah. So, but when I'm in a room with English journos, mm. a lot of them take up precious questions yeah. about romance and shit that I I can't even believe that grown adults yeah. find it interesting. Yeah. But I there is stuff of what they do that is interesting. Very interesting. Yeah. But yet they don't seem to agree with what I think is interesting. So a lot of these journalists, it's, you know, it's like they're still at school. They're like, who kissed who? Yeah. Who did what with who? Mm. You know. Okay. So the weird thing for Doctor Who is I asked what, what I thought, what the creators thought made Doctor Who quintessentially British. Mm-hmm. And it was weird because I knew that they had an answer. Yeah. But they withheld it. Really? Because, and I asked, I asked a person uh, who was working on the day, why, why was he so coy? Why was he, like, avoiding the question? Yeah, why was he cagey about answering my question? And they said, because you've got a room full of English hacks who will tear him apart if he talks about Britishness. So he has to keep it understated. Mm. Because if he makes an overt, obvious statement about what it is that makes Doctor Who British, then all of the British journalists are not going to agree with him. Because everyone is kind of... Everyone sort of has their own version of what genuinely genuine Britishness is. Yeah. So it's probably easier for the creators of something like Doctor Who to just leave it open yeah. and let everyone take their own reading of mm. it. But I feel like if he was talking to me by myself, yeah. he would have been much more forthcoming. Ah, okay. What do you think makes Doctor Who quintessentially English or British? I've, I've, uh, I'm not qualified to say. Yeah, yeah. You, you are, undoubtedly. Um, it's, really, it's a really hard question to ask. But what is Doctor Who, really? I mean, what is the interesting thing about him? It's the fact that he is um, um, uh, sort of removed. He's ironic. Mm. Right, he makes jokes in the face of danger. He's kind of commenting on everything that's happening around him. He's not really there. He's kind of he's different to everyone else, and he's making ironic jokes about everything. Um, I think maybe that's a bit English. Yep, that we're sort of slightly removed, and we can't. We're quite self-conscious, mm. and and so that means that we have an ironic viewpoint on things. Um, but, but but one of the weird things about being say, a journalist in that capacity, 
um, is going to see television get made and knowing that it's more fun to make television than to write about the people making television. Okay. So, uh, but like Matt Smith, for some reason, everyone I spoke to were like Doctor Who fans when they were kids. Yeah. Like they are so proud. Like he, he nearly kind of, he got quite emotional. Well, he was saying that one day he just hopes that for a generation of kids, he's their Doctor Who. Yeah. I think that maybe is part of the power of it as well, that it's built up over time and it's become like an institution Mm. that Doctor... Yeah, we all watched Doctor Who when we were kids. Even my parents watched Doctor Who when they were kids. Mm. And so it's... We've all gone through generations of experiencing the same thing, the drama, the mystery of who this guy is, the frightening things that happen in the show, Mm. the, uh, the capacity to dream about it. And so as it's been like like uh, reinforced over time it's just become yeah an institution but, so to, to see someone talk passionately about their work yeah and then get asked questions about who are you shagging yeah um, must be disappointed yeah it's, i was disappointed i was disappointed but that's that's another reason why i like the british press as well because you've got the very best and the very worst yeah like it's a huge gamut there yeah ton of magazines ton of newspapers and if that's your thing you can get it if it's yeah. not your thing you're catered for as well oh yeah we've got sort of wildly varying types of press in in the uk we've got the tab newspapers we've got the tabloid media like the sun and the the news of the world that doesn't exist anymore mm-hmm. and then we've got yeah the broadsheet newspapers which have different political viewpoints but they generally have quite good reputations the mm. guardian the independent the times the telegraph um, okay, but just to close things off, I know I know you're not uh, into the celebrity thing, but I'm quite curious to see what people are really like. You know, um, so you told us about Benedict Cumberbatch. I heard that Martin Freeman is very witty. Was he funny f- for you? Did you find? Did he? Was he being funny or was he not? Uh, no, he was very funny. He's very dry. I mean, there's when I was talking to him, there was uh, like people on the stage crashing stuff. Like they were just dropping thing they were making a lot of noise okay and he was just i think he was like muttering <laughs> just i mean he could have he didn't throw his weight around he was annoyed that they were making all this noise so instead of like shouting at the people he was like m- muttering under his yeah, breath yes like oh if you could drop that a few more times that'd be great right like, sort of sarcastic yeah yeah very sarcastic thing. yeah yeah that's funny uh, that's good I'm glad that he did it like that and that he didn't shout and lose mm, his temper no that's, that's good alright uh, and, and uh, Matt Smith um, oh yeah I mean he's I, I spoke to him with David Tennant they were together you, you had Matt Smith and David Tennant mm. both of the doctors they were both in their garb dressed as the doctors you and- spoke to so Matt Smith and David Tennant, both of them, they were dressed as the doc. You spoke to two Doctor Who's at the same time. Yeah, that's amazing. Um, and they, that, just seeing, I mean, they just clearly, absolutely loved each other's company. Really, like that's amazing. Like to see, yeah, they were really having fun. They were having so much fun, and it was weird because David Tennant was saying how he was nervous about coming back, yeah, and that it's not his gig anymore and he actually one interesting thing he said was that to be the doctor he was he was rehearsing and he couldn't get it right and anyway he just went back and watched dvds of himself so <laughs> he, he learned just, how to be the doctor by, studying by watching himself, himself. <laughs> wow. yeah. brilliant mm. thank you so much for telling us all about these things all about your the people you've met the work you've done the country that you come from. No, it's my fundamental pleasure, and I'm sorry if I've uh, rabbited on, and uh, the twang of my accent has been... Uh... No, it's been great. Okay. It's been great. I'm sure everyone uh, has appreciated being able to listen to such an interesting uh, conversation. I mean, I say that... I hope that doesn't sound arrogant. I mean, I was part of the conversation. I, I personally think it was interesting. Okay. So um, I hope that my listeners do too. Do you have anything, any, a final word to say to the people of Oh my God, of the, that sounds world? really ominous. Yeah, you have to say a statement to the people of, of planet Earth because everybody 
is listening to this. Fuck another Jerry Springer. I just you don't have to you don't have to take it seriously. No, I just hope everyone you know throws another shrimp on the Barbie. That's all you know. If you throw another shrimp on, life's good. Yeah. Yeah, an imaginary shrimp. Yeah. On an imaginary hypothetical Barbie. On a hypothetical Barbie that doesn't have to be in Australia. It could be anywhere. No, precisely. So just enjoy your. You know what? If you're not from Australia, can you please just take that cliche and make it yours yeah like if you're lithuanian make that lithuanian yeah mm. so in lithuania you need to start having more barbecues you need to start eating more prawns on those barbecues and then start throwing that expression around yeah so that eventually let's say in 10 years everyone will be going oh you're from lithuania throw <laughs> another shrimp on the barbie <laughs> fair dinkum yeah mm. okay brilliant thanks very much daniel cheers mate. great to speak to you So there you are, that was Daniel Burt. I really enjoyed speaking to Daniel. I think he's just, he's really good conversation. You know, I feel like we could have kept going and going for ages. We had loads of things to talk about. Um, and uh, it, it, I feel like he's quite willing to talk in quite um, quite a lot of depth about subjects, you know? So um, I think he was a good guest. Now I wonder if you could understand everything he said. Um, I expect that some of you will have had some problems, you know, because he speaks really fast and um, he speaks in an accent that you might not be familiar with. Uh, but still, I think it's very good for you to just listen to these things, to expose yourself to, to you know, English in this natural way, even when you don't understand everything. It's just good to kind of hear it and the more you hear it you you start to kind of uh, get familiar with with like different accents or different sounds in English um, if there are any particular things that you really can't work out things that are troubling you that you don't understand um, at the moment there's no transcript for this episode perhaps in the future but in the meantime what you can do is just leave a comment for this episode which includes some kind of time code uh, and maybe a question, you know, it could be just be, what did Daniel say at this point? And then leave a specific time code, and then I'll be able to find that point, and then, you know, uh, play, uh, play it to myself, and then identify the word or phrase or whatever that you couldn't pick out. Alright, do that, and that might help you to, you know, identify things. And then hopefully in the future we'll have a transcript for this episode. That's it for this one, though. Um, and I look forward to presenting you with more conversations in the future. But for now, it's bye, 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 bye. Thanks again for listening to Luke's English Podcast. For more information, you can visit teacherluke.wordpress.com. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. If you enjoyed this episode of Luke's English Podcast, consider signing up for Luke's English Podcast Premium. You'll get regular premium episodes with stories, vocabulary, grammar and pronunciation teaching from me and the usual moments of humour and fun. Plus, with your subscription, you will be directly supporting my work and making this whole podcast project possible. For more information about Luke's English Podcast Premium, go to teacherluke.co.uk slash premium info.